Hi, and welcome to The Router, the official podcast of the UQ Computing Society, where we explore the human side of tech. I'm your host, Matt, and we are back after exams with a brand new episode. Today, we're having a chat to Kendrick Tan, also known as at Kendrick on Slack. He has worked in the blockchain space for many years and currently works at DFX in Decentralized Finance, where he is the chief technical officer. He's here to give us a 20-minute rundown on blockchain, Ethereum, decentralized finance, and more, as well as addressing some of the concerns regarding the past, present, and future of cryptocurrencies. All right, welcome, Kendrick, to the show. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Um, before I begin, uh, it'd be good if you could introduce yourself to anyone who doesn't know about you, who you are, what's your background, where you work, that kind of thing. Yeah, so uh, I'm Kendrick. So I graduated from QT in uh, 2019 with a computer science degree. Uh, the reason I got a computer science degree is because my mom wanted me to get a degree and that was like probably the quickest way to get out of the <laughs> And so I got one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after graduating, I've been working full-time in the cryptocurrency space. Uh, I originally wanted to go to get a FANG job, but after dipping my toes in this whole ecosystem, I decided it will be such a pity if I didn't kind of grab the opportunity to go in such an emerging field. So in, since 2019, I've been working with uh, various companies, uh, one of them being uh, the Ethereum Foundation. So I contracted with the Ethereum Foundation for about half a year and we did a lot of uh, work on zero knowledge proofs, which is like basically moon math, as people like to call it. But I was <laughs> the one reading the papers and applying the math rather than coming up with the math. So there's a very big difference um, in that. It was very fun. Like I learned a lot about the processes of how like these cryptographers came up came up to these conclusions and how to actually like, use them, and how like it's really interesting how you can like use these properties in a in a, in, in Ethereum specifically anyway. I also worked with a couple of uh, layer two scaling solutions on Ethereum, which is like uh, products or applications or protocols that are dedicated to create, help make Ethereum scale, so like higher uh, high TPS or higher transactions per second. Uh, but eventually I, um, during 2020, um, I found out about DeFi, uh, the decentralized finance, and after dipping my toes into that, I decided like I wanted to go full time onto that. And so I worked for a company called UMA. Unfortunately, the time zones didn't work out, and so I left. And now I'm currently working at uh, DFX, uh, which I'm also the CTO. Oh, very nice. So uh, you kind of started working um, in Ethereum more generally, and then moved into uh, decentralized uh, finance. Yeah, yes. So it was mostly, I was interested in the cryptography space. Mm. Um, But then suddenly, like, this wave of innovation came from, like, on the finance side. And I didn't know anything about finance back then. I was still, like, a geek, uh, like, Mm. more like a technical guy. But just just the amount of, like, smart people in the space kind of convinced me that maybe I should check it out. And the minute I did, I was like, there's no turning back yet. Yeah, that sounds super fun. Um, I guess to begin, because um, personally, I don't know too much about uh, this area of work. Uh, could you begin by trying to give like a, I don't know, explain like I'm five kind of introduction to what Ethereum is, 
how it differs from, you know, Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, um, and maybe also a bit of an intro into what decentralized finance is. Yeah, yeah. So Bitcoin at its very core is just a ledger, which all the participants in a network will agree upon the state of the ledger. Um, and in Bitcoin's case, it will be how much Bitcoin everyone owns. So, for example, if there's like a, if there's like a, if there's like ten participants, eventually, and let's say I'm sending you ten Bitcoins, eventually everyone like it will broadcast a signal, telling everyone in the network saying, "Hey, I sent you ten Bitcoins." And eventually, everyone's ledger will kind of agree upon that I've sent you ten Bitcoins, and so they'll deduct ten Bitcoins from my account and add ten Bitcoins. Um, to your account, so that's like a very at, at, at its highest level. There's like a more there's like more complicated stuff such as PVP networking, routing, and consensus theory. But um, let's just ignore that and focus on like the the core idea, which is like a decentralized ledger which will form eventual consistency or like a distributed database, if you if you want to put it that way. Okay. Um, so that's Bitcoin. State A to State B. I want to kind of emphasize that state transition because it's very important. In Bitcoin's case, it's very, uh, very application specific. It just tells you how many Bitcoins has been transferred from A to B, or like the the, the delta, or like the state of how many Bitcoins you own. Ethereum, on the other hand, can be seen as like a hacker's Bitcoin. So mm-hmm. instead of having a very rigid system, a very rigid state transition system from state A to state B. You, any programmer can create kind of arbitrary logic to kind of indicate how the state transition should be from state A to state B. So if I want to like say deploy a new token on Ethereum, I'll basically create a new token and deploy it onto the ledger. Like there's like a database where it stores like the bytecode of your application. and from let's say state A doesn't have the the token state B once you deploy the contract state B will state that hey in this in this uh, storage slot as they like to call it there's now a new token with this bytecode and now I can execute arbitrary code against uh, sorry execute like some kind of uh, code on Ethereum against that deployed bytecode to state to change more states so it's more like a a generalized state transition machine and also keep in mind that the Ethereum Ethereum runs a virtual machine, just like the JVM, but they call it the EVM, Ethereum virtual machine, which is also Turing complete. So now you have like generalized state <laughs> transitions. So that's like oh, Ethereum that's in nice. a nutshell. Um, okay. You have Turing complete state machine, um, and Bitcoin's like more like a application specific one. So uh, in that sense, I would that's what I like to call it, like a hackers Bitcoin. It's a lot more exciting uh, because you can build. Any anything you can dream of. Well, right now, right now it's mainly finance um, because Ethereum and Bitcoin are speculative assets. So, uh, like the main applications built on Ethereum right now are financially related, which brings us into DeFi. Um, So, DeFi is this uh, movement from kind of like the secret world of Wall Street and like the centrally controlled like mod like sovereign money into this like cyberpunkish, cyberpunkish, uh, like democratized uh, money platform, if you will, which is which is essentially what DeFi was. I remember three years ago when I started out in this space, there wasn't a stable coin um, when I started out, but now there's like so many 
so many financial infrastructure that it's, it's impossible to keep up in the space. I mean, so there's so many like different words that kind of get thrown around when it comes to like cryptocurrency and this sort of thing. So it's good to hear about um, a few of those things. Are there any other kind of more specialized things that you work in? Maybe you could give a brief intro into, you mentioned zero knowledge proofs before. What is, what is that like? Like what, what is it like working in that space? Um, I, it's, it's a cryptographic thing, right? So I guess yep. is there like yep. a lot of math involved, that kind of thing. Uh, keep in mind, I was the one who was reading the papers. And yeah, the yeah. I didn't come <laughs> That's all good, yeah. Proofs. yeah. But essentially what I did, my work in the zero knowledge proof space was how do we, it was like a voting system. It's like, how do I, how do I vote for someone without, without revealing my vote? And in fact, if you're interested in it, I think uh, EY also released something to do with like transacting on the blockchain with zero knowledge proofs. So how do I create a receipt to a company that I'm dealing with uh, that I have like some kind of relationship to kind of prove that I sent payment without actually revealing the payment. Because keep in mind, these payments are publicly uh, on a public ledger. And if mm -hmm. your competitor knows like who you're paying and how much you're paying for what amount of like uh, supply, then it's like kind of bad news because then they can kind of use this information to their advantage. Um, mm -hmm. I forgot what, what it's called, but if you look up EY, you're not sure Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll link that in in the description of the podcast. Um, yeah, I find it. Yeah, yeah. So it's essentially, it's like how do I prove I have something without necessarily revealing that particular something? Um, is the whole idea of like so much proofs. There's also like other rabbit holes that you want to dive deep into as consensus theory, which I'm not, I'm not, I'm I haven't touched touched at all. But there's also something called MEV or minor okay. extracted value. Uh, no, when I when I mentioned like state transitions, the order of state transition can be exploited. It's almost like an order on an, an, an exchange, like a high frequency exchange. If you were to suddenly jump the queue, you would like profit the most. And it's the same with like minor extract value because miners kind of dictate the order of transactions that occur and how you like game the system. So what order of the state transition occurs will yield maximum value is also quite a quite a new field it's it's only come around in the last four months or five months but it's slowly gaining momentum uh -huh. sounds interesting i'm yeah <laughs> new to all this stuff um i i guess another question that people ask i think um when they hear about uh ethereum and cryptocurrencies and this kind of thing um at least from what i've heard it's it's kind of some people think of it as something that you try, kind of treat it like a stock or like a you know a currency you're like just buying into it um, and you just hope to see the price rise when you buy, you know, and try to make some money off of it. Um, yep. but I guess some people like, like me are wondering, like, there are some obvious benefits to, you know, decentralization. Um, and I guess, you know, getting rid of that, you know, mysterious wall street hole that the money seems to go into. Um, but like, what, what other, like, does it solve any other kind of problems? Like what, what other things can you apply this Ethereum, um, idea to in terms of like, yeah, technology? That's, that's definitely the main narrative. So Bitcoin is like a decentralized store value. That's like not, uh, to answer your question, sorry, that's mm -hmm. one of the main, uh, yeah, okay. one, that's one of the main use cases recently because Bitcoin has been like a, a transfer of value like a, like a 
like a store value that you can electronically transfer. Like Bitcoin is money as a data structure, which that concept is, in my opinion, incredibly powerful. I guess we don't mm-hmm. really we don't really experience it here, like in Australia, because there's a lot of polit- we have a stable political system. Our currency is relatively strong. There isn't much need to kind of go um, outside of like sovereign money. But mm-hmm. if you live in say Zimbabwe or Venezuela or Turkey, more recently Turkey, where there's like a dictatorship happening, and uh, there's like it's political instability, there's a real, real need to have access to these kinds of instruments because you want to be able to leave the country with your wealth intact. Like it'll be, I mean, if you can escape the country but start from zero, that wouldn't be ideal, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But to answer your question, that's like the main use cases. And I can foresee certain other use cases such as voting uh, mm. on blocking, but that, that kind of brings up a lot of um, other uh, potential issues with that yeah. scenario. Yeah. yeah, like I guess um, what's confidentiality and, you know, making sure that your votes are secret. I've heard about some uh, approaches to this kind of, um, you know, making elections better, but um, it seems like the best way forward is to keep developing this technology, um, seeing if we can get around those those issues, and it's better than at least, it sounds like there's more potential in these blockchain approaches than the current system of digital voting, which is just some dodgy Windows XP machine in a, in a booth that you just <laughs> type your votes into and hope that it, you know, is... is correct and yeah because with voting like how do you guarantee that the hardware you're running is going to execute what it says on the screen like we don't even know that like it's a lot of a lot of issues with that like from the hardware level and even if the software is perfect how do you you can't guarantee stuff on hardware it's simply it's just too many too many potential uh backdoors um i'm gonna pivot over to something a little bit different uh, so you're talking about, I guess, the use of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general, like it's, it's kind of going up and I've noticed like there've been news stories about how like, you know, in El Salvador and countries like that, where they're starting to, you know, accept Bitcoin as like legal tender. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bitcoin is becoming more and more popular and people are more and more interested in possessing Bitcoin, mining Bitcoin, obtaining Bitcoin. Um, and that's kind of led to this discussion about the environmental impacts of cryptocurrencies because obviously currencies in general have their own environmental impacts, you know, generated by all this production of, you know, minting and things like that. But it's a bit unique and it's a bit different because now it's kind of intersecting with the tech world a little bit and where, you know, there's been this rise of people purchasing GPUs to mine Bitcoin and, you know, different methods of verifying ledgers and things like that have led to the increase of like computational use of power. Um, so I guess there's like a few, few things been brought up about that. Um, I guess, could you give a bit of background from your like cryptocurrency perspective about what, what, what are the issues about it? How, what is the issues of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency and in terms of that and, how is crypto trying to tackle these issues? Um, well, first of all, I completely agree uh, with your statement that 
it's consuming too much electricity. Mm. Um, however, I do, I would like to point out that a lot of the, like, like the criticism surrounding the electricity consumption by the media is a little bit uh, misguided in some sense. Mm. Okay. Uh, this is because like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining in general have this very unique property. Like the power, cons- they consume power in a very geo- geographically independent manner. So mm. we're used to consuming power that's kind of closest. So for example, mm. in Brisbane, we're used to pa- consuming power that's kind of generated in Queensland. It would be absurd to think that we would consume power generated in somewhere like Singapore or somewhere in New Zealand or somewhere in Iceland or China. But that's exactly mm. what Bitcoin's doing. It's actually consuming electricity in in areas that are kind of, that would uh, in areas that have an an overabundant of power. So for example, like the main uh, mining hubs in China and Sichuan and in, in Mongolia, which is far away from the city center as well in Iceland. Um, in Iceland where like the city, like actually cryptocurrency mining consumes more electricity than I think certain parts of Iceland. Like, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, the point being that like these electricity consumption is actually being consumed and also keep in mind that energy energy is really hard. Like electricity in particular is very hot and very expensive to store. So the minute you produce it, it kind of has to, needs to be consumed immediately. Otherwise, it would be wasted. And it, electricity consumption has to like kind of go with like the peaks and throughs of our consumption. So for example, in the afternoon, we might consume more electricity, but like at nighttime, we might consume less. Whereas Bitcoin's like constant. Uh, so I guess mm-hmm. what I'm trying to kind of articulate is that a lot of the times like these energy consumption by cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular, Bitcoin mining in particular, would otherwise be electricity that's kind of wasted. So you're kind of monetizing uh, and an, kind of like a resource that would otherwise go to waste. Um, mm. However, I do agree that it is contributing to a lot of like gas house, the greenhouse gases. Um, and uh, there are certain ways kind of there are plans in Ethereum, not for Bitcoin. Bitcoin is kind of staying on this whole proof of work thing where you use like computational resources to kind of validate the block state. Um, whereas Ethereum is kind of moving on to this uh this this system of calling using this system called proof of stake where you use capital to verify um to validate like the block state rather than using some sort of uh some rather than using a computational power, uh, which would, in theory, significantly reduce uh, the energy consumption. So I guess there's 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 more approaches being developed now to try to get around this issue. I guess that's good. Um, do do you think that as a result of this, um, people might move away from Bitcoin, or do you think that Bitcoin is kind of going to have the same val- same role that it has now? Uh, Bitcoin has passed the Lindy test um, too yeah. many times. Uh, it's, it's, it's going like a lot of times like these ledgers or like these cryptocurrencies are kind of like instead of a kind of like a social consensus amongst people. I like to think that mm. the, like there's now a social consensus amongst like all the hedge funds and all like the big finance finance companies that Bitcoin is here to stay and they're kind of 
looking more deeply into it. And so I do not think that, and, and Bitcoin has like the dominant, Bitcoin is the dominant uh, asset that's looked at as a store of value to kind of hedge against the recent uh, US, supposedly US inflation. So I do not think that people particularly, uh, I don't really think anyone would really move away purely because of these uh, energy consumption uh, issues. It's, it's good to keep in mind, you know, um, the impacts of that kind of thing. And oh yeah, yeah, I completely yeah, agree yeah. that it yeah. can be can be better. But yeah, you know, if you, I mean, actually, and also if you think that uh, Bitcoin as a settlement layer is worth zero dollars, then naturally, all it really depends on how much you value Bitcoin as a settlement layer. Right? As you mentioned, mm -hmm. currencies, the creation and minting of currencies themselves do generate kind of like green greenhouse gases and contribute to global warming. So if you think that Bitcoin as the settlement layer is worth zero dollars, then naturally all the energy, like no matter how much, how little energy it consumes, that's too much. It's waste. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, I didn't really have any other questions to ask. One thing I wanted to ask is if, if some listener, someone listening would like to find out more about these kinds of technologies, uh, where do you think they should go? Like, do you have any kind of resources, things to read, things to watch? I don't know. Um, recommendations? Uh, personally, I found that creating a Twitter account and following a key set of uh, thought leaders is mm. probably the best way to get forward because the information just, there's just too much information out there. It's too sparse. No one's, it's no real, uh, there's no centralized repository where you can kind of go through and find out what to do. Like, it's just too much happening every day. Like, every day there's like a new concept or like a new protocol being released. There's like a new paper that you should read. <laughs> um, and yeah. so I would highly recommend like, creating a Twitter account and following a few key, key, key influences, if you will. Um, that's like how I stay updated. Otherwise, it's just impossible. Yeah. So it sounds a lot like ML has been for the past few years where it's just a constant like stream of information and the only way to keep up is twitter or like archive and just <laughs> it's crazy yeah um, yeah definitely some similarities there yeah all right um that's it for me uh thanks so much for joining us on this uh episode um i'll make sure to link everything uh, that's been mentioned in the in the description and uh yeah uh, thanks for coming along. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. All right. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us. As usual, our next episode will be out in a fortnight. Uh, but until then, come join us on our Slack community at slack.uqcs.org.